You are listening to Aaron Petit on the Above the Noise Music Industry Podcast. Welcome back to Above the Noise Music Industry Podcast. I'm Aaron Bethune, and today I am joined by Alan Adamson, a master of all things branding and marketing. Recently, he was the North America Vlander Associates Chairman, a global brand consulting and design firm, where he was responsible for operations overseeing the branding efforts. And under his leadership, the company partnered with a wide array of iconic brands, including Accenture, GE, Johnson & Johnson, FedEx, HBO, Marriott, MetLife, and Verizon, among others. Now, for that, he was a senior vice president, um, group director at Amirati Impurus and DMBMB. And during that time, he partnered with clients including Kraft, Mars, and Procter and & Gamble. Uh, prior to this, he gained a considerable experience on the client side, working at Lever Brothers, where he also worked with a number of major brands. Uh, he is the author of now four books, The Edge, 50 Tips from Brands That Lead, Brand Digital, Brand Simple, and now Shift Ahead. Uh, he writes for Forbes. Um, he has appeared on... Uh, NBC's Today Show, CNBC's Squawk Box and Closing Bell, and Fox Business Network. He is often quoted in publications including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Advertising Age, USA Today, the Washington Post, and Forbes. As well, he's a, a frequent guest lecturer at a number of universities, and today he's on Above the Noise. So I'm very happy to ask him many questions on branding, and I think that uh, you'll find that his expertise in many areas outside of the entertainment world are incredibly valuable when applied to the music industry. So without further ado, on to today's interview. Although this may be an, an obvious question and, and a lot of people may feel they know the answer, I'd like to hear from you what, what you feel defines branding and you know what a brand is. Great question, Aaron. And let's start off with, the, you know, everyone has lots of jargon and you can listen to lots of jargon. It can be pretty confusing. But the way I like to frame it is a brand, as we all know, is, is your story. What do you want to stand for when somebody hears your name, your company, your organization? You know, what, what idea do you want to pop into people's head? Um, and defining that, your brand strategy. But I like to say it's your story, you know, and shorter the better. But that's your story. And then branding is how you get that idea in people's head. It could be, you know, uh, they could experience your product. They could see an ad. They could hear something on the radio. They could open up a package and read the instructions. They could uh, have an experience uh, a friend could tell them. There, there, you know, unfortunately, there are dozens and dozens of ways branding gets communicated. Uh, but the objective is to figure out what do you want to put on people's in people's heads. And then how do you get inside people's heads? And the theory is easy, but the execution is hard. It's funny because in the music industry, I think in some ways the term branding, you know, it's, it's always been a part of, of bands, but the idea of people thinking bands are brands uh, in many ways feels like a fairly new terminology, especially coming from the musicians themselves. However, with that being said, um, something that's always fascinated me about branding in the music industry is I think when you look at the timeline of of brands, you know, where you sort of start out with that idea of the features, what it has, and and the benefits of what it does, and the experience, what you'll feel. I mean, you know, we've sort of come to this point in the idea of being identified by brands, and that's something that I think is relatively 
new and perhaps current in other industries. But when we look at the music industry, it, it, it seems that that's always been the case. You know, this idea that music represents people. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, when you look at the music industry, um, you know, with your brand lens on, you know, are there anything that you think that perhaps businesses outside of the music industry could look at the music industry as a way of um, focusing their brands? Well, I think it's always dangerous to generalize, as you know, but I think if I were going to create a generalization is that, you know, I think the music business is pretty good at certain signals that, you know, branding signals that, um, that create word of mouth slash buzz. And so whether that's how to, how to, how to, you know, uh, stage an event, how to promote an event, how to do something during the performance that is unexpected and non-traditional because the one thing for sure in branding, if your branding looks like everyone else's, it's invisible. So, you know, a big challenge is how to do something different that's relevant. And I think in general, uh, given the music industry is creatively driven, you still need creativity to do great branding. You could have a great strategy idea for your brand, but if you don't have some creativity in how you signal it, how you get that message in people's heads, uh, you run into uh, trouble. Well, you wrote a, a great article in Forbes in which uh, you talk about some of the lessons that Lady Gaga could learn from Madonna. And, and in that article, you talk about sort of these two types of brands, the one that's perhaps static isn't the word, but the one that constantly delivers on a promise. You know, and you use uh, Barbara Streisand as the example that, you know, year after year, decade after decade, she delivers on a promise that's been there since day one. And then you use Madonna in the example of that sort of ever-changing, um, staying at the edge, I guess, of things, um, and, and, and what it's like to uh, approach a brand from that perspective. And you started going into a few ways that uh, somebody like Lady Gaga could, could learn from Madonna. And, and one of the, the, the things that you talk about in, in your article is that fine line between you know, straying too far ahead and staying just ahead so that you know you can maintain that audience audience engagement. And so I wonder if you could perhaps elaborate a little bit on that and and uh, and, and share that insight. Well, yeah, you know, it used to be that uh, just being consistent and doing the same thing it was important to build a brand because brands are often shortcuts. I can't figure out what the difference in one computer and the other, but I trust this brand, so I'll just do that. So. You know, sometimes brands uh, are shortcuts to help you make purchasing decisions in confusing categories, and music could be a confusing category. Um, and the olden days, where you, you know, just saying the same thing over and over provided the best insurance that when people heard, you know, the, the old-fashioned case was Barbara Streisand's image was, you know, just constantly doing the same thing, whereas, uh, you know, Madonna was reinventing herself every couple of years. <clears throat> but the market has flipped a bit. Uh, you know that consistent. You have to be consistent to what you stand for and maybe your core values. But if you always present it in a cookie cutter way, you uh, you get into trouble. You know, I I uh, I was uh, I think you know without getting too much into the music business, which is out of my sweet spot. I I do think that uh, Lady Gaga's brand is really going to benefit from her transformation in 
a star is born, you know, because she, you know, yes, her voice is still powerful and unique, but, you know, her role in that movie is so different from her the persona she's built, at least to an outsider in the category, that I think it's going to, you know, re-energize her and introduce her to a whole new set of audiences that maybe had already niched her and say, well, she's, you know, she's talented, but not my type of talent. Well, I uh, shift, shifting gears, I guess, a little bit. Um, I, I was wondering if you could maybe elaborate a little bit on what the four pillars are that underlined a brand's assets, and, and is there a, a balance to be had between them? Uh, so, you know, when people think about brand, you know, or branding, they think, well, you know, people heard of me, uh, and so. The knee-jerk reaction is I got to get some publicity, I got some awareness, and yes, you know, you need to, you know, one of the hardest things to do in in the market today is to get people to even see you because everyone is screaming on top of their lungs saying, "Look at me, look at me, look at me," and consumers are inundated by people screaming at them for their attention, which is shrinking <laughs> uh, and, and, and more scattered, more fragmented than ever. So. Um, you know, there's always been a, you know, how do you get me some uh, some awareness, get people to to know me, and that is that is important. Um, but just knowing that you exist doesn't make many people want to buy you. <laughs> and so, you know, for years, it's you know, lots of marketers that you know, make an ad, create some buzz, do some PR, do an event, do a stunt, you know, get my name out there. And yes, that's. If you're invisible, then that's a problem. But you need to think through the other pillars, um, uh, and most most importantly, from a lot of the work that you know and most of your listeners do, is you need to be different in a way people care about. Uh, and figuring out what your this is a little marketing buzzwordy, what your you know what your relevant differentiation is. What do you stand for that is different, but is relevant, and and finding that balance and it's. It's very, really easy, but figuring out because oftentimes people just either try to be try too hard to be different and they become niche and or people don't get the difference, uh, or they're so different that they are different, but no one really cares about the entire category. So it doesn't matter if I think you're different if your style of music is so different and unique, but not really relevant to me. I could be aware of you, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna engage with you. So the, the pillars are being differentiated. Different, differentiated, relevant, uh, and creating some understanding and knowledge, not just awareness. Because if I've heard of Lady Gaga, I've heard of it doesn't you know just because I've heard of it doesn't mean I know anything about it. So, you know, working all those levers in your in your plan um, consistently and integrating it is what separates winners from losers. And I'm I'm wondering when it comes to the current available platforms. I mean, obviously, we've seen with the um, last, I think, uh, president's campaign, that social media and online platforms have really taken on, you know, an even larger role in how people communicate, how, you know, news spreads, how brands spread, you know, how people's perceptions spread. It seems that it's, you know, not advertising is playing perhaps a slightly different role. I'm just wondering, you know, when you're looking at a brand, building a brand, and you know, maintaining the strength of a brand, how does how do these platforms play in? I mean, is, is, what are some of the changes you've seen over the years? 
Well, you know, the one you alluded to, of course, is Israel. Um, uh, mostly in the back in the Mad Men days, people would say, sit in their living room on the couch and look at one screen, and you know, listen to what people were telling them. Uh, maybe they believed it. Uh, now, the 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 eight hundred pound gorilla in the room is that social media, you know, word of mouth is the is the most powerful marketing tool. Um, and we can come back and talk about how hard word of mouth is. Everyone says, oh, just give you some buzz. Um, you know, I don't really have a lot of money. Let's just do something online and have it go viral. But there's so much content created every second online that just because you're online doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you know, it means that, yeah, you're one of a billion people screaming, look at me. Um, so, and the other thing to keep in mind, and we'll maybe drill into a base of it and talk about it, is that marketing is a trendy business. So, uh, it's sort of like uh, watching if you have young kids, ten-year-olds play soccer. You know, everyone's around the ball. Everyone's around the shiny new object in marketing, and you got to do something on Twitter or social media, and and so people are totally myopically running after that idea. And sometimes people who do just the opposite um, win and break through. So somebody's you know, just doing some extraordinary packaging or some some older type of quote unquote branding uh, can be equally effective. Well, it's uh, it's interesting because you know I've, I've heard the the saying before, and I'm not sure if this is Marty Newmyer's words, but uh, I've certainly heard it from him. As far as a brand isn't what you say it is, it's what they say it is, and I think that one of the things that I find quite commonly. Um, is people don't, you know, necessarily understand that who their audience is, you know, who who are the ones who are eventually going to be the ones saying what the brand is. And so when I was, um, you know, uh, researching um, and reading your book, you know, I I, I read some of the, um, the 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 parts of your interview with uh, Bill Tipman, who created um, uh, um, MTV and iHeart Radio. And he he talks about knowing your audience, and and I know with with your company, um, Metaphors, that uh, you know one of the things that I know you do is is help clients identify you know what truly matters to their audiences and and how to deliver on it. So how how do you find out who your audience is and and who are then going to be going on talking about you and helping with that word of mouth? How, how do you yeah how do you know yeah there, it's really obviously easier said than done. Um, if you ask anybody who do you want to appeal to, the typical answer, whether you're marketing a local hardware store or a rock band, is everybody. You know, we you know we want to, you know, as many people as possible. You know, why limit? <laughs> you know, I want to sell as much as possible. It means I need to talk to everyone on the street, around the corner, up the corner. Um, so uh, the tendency is always to believe more is better when in fact more is sometimes not not better uh, because. If you if you go back to what we were talking about before and the importance of social media and not what you say but what other people say, you know, the strategy for how you get word of mouth is incredibly simple. Um, you know, no one shares ordinary stories about products or services or experiences. If you take a flight from you know, L.A. to New York and you get there roughly on time and you they don't lose your bags and you don't sit next to a screaming child, uh, you're not going to tell anybody about it. <laughs> you know, I just came to New York. and Now, of course, if, you know, the pilot 
gets lost and lands in Cleveland, you know, you can be sure that your social media feed will be full of, I am stuck in Cleveland because this pilot can't even figure out where New York is. Um, um, and conversely, if they want you to say nice things about the airline, uh, they're going to have to do something more than get you there on time without losing your bag. So, you know, given that people only share extraordinary um, you can't be extraordinary to everybody. So the, the theory again is simple: identifying you know, people who who really find what you have terrific, and focusing and making sure you delight them, make them this is a marketing term, you know, net promoters of your product. And um, if you do everything averagely, so you don't offend anybody, you don't you want to appeal to everybody. It's like if you appeal to everybody, you're important to nobody. Uh, and lots of that's true in politics. It's true in a lot of things. And uh, so, you know, part of it is uh, figuring out, yes, you want to appeal to a lot of people. How do you get to your sweet spot? And, just, you know, something you know that already. And marketing today is, is so cluttered. You're better off winning with a fewer people than coming in second with more people. So as you're as you're saying this, I'm 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 wondering, do you have you know any sort of questions per se that you um, ask a client, um, or some, some some sort of starting off point for someone who's you know wanting to, I guess, ask some questions of themselves so that they can understand who are they, who what is their niche, who who are they trying to reach? Is, is there any sort of questions you can recommend people that could be asking themselves? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think always starting big, I mean, somewhat of a one degree of separation, but we were working, I was working for a large pizza chain, not not the one that's in the news lately, Papa John's, but, um, and they were going out and asking consumers, you know, what do you want in pizza, and you know, lo and behold, people would say, tastes good, nice cheese, crusty crust, you know, you, you would get lots of that. And then they went out and did some calls. You know, if our brand went away, what would you do? And most people say, oh, I just go to the other brand. And so what they found was that people sort of liked their brand a little bit and there's nothing wrong with it. But they were so emotionally unattached to it that they could – it didn't matter which pizza. You know, they felt that all pizzas were the same and whichever one's cheaper and closer I'll get. So they knew that you know, just being average to everybody – was, you know, they were selling okay, but they've had to figure out who they, who they could design their product and experience why and really hit a home run. So that forced them to make some choices. Do they, you know, focus on a higher end gourmet organic experience? Do they focus on just being a great value for families with 20 kids? Um, and you need to make choices. And great brands, if you know, if the answer is everyone loves it then you're not being focused enough. You need to get some people to be fanatical about it. And other people need to say, well, that's not for me. Because if you can't say what's on brand and what's off brand and everything sort of feels right, you you, you may think you're hitting a home run, but you'll be invisible. That's interesting. I, I think that there's a, a lot of examples we can all think of where we we have not considered price but where either we've we've wanted the particular product, whether it's you know Apple versus you know some sort of PC, um, whatever it might be, that you know price doesn't become a part of it. And, and within the music industry, the thing that's I guess been 
interesting to me and and continues to be a, an issue i think um i mean no matter what in the music industry it's it's kind of like an iceberg you know the the the, the people that are at the top are, are the ones that are above the water but there's far more people under under the water that are you know struggling to get by and try to figure out how they're going to make you know ends meet with music um and and it seems like more often than not people are willing to pay you know to, to play for free or they're not putting a value to things um i'm just wondering is, is there is there a way people can shift to, to, to consider the value of, of their brand in a way that can help them recognize that it's worth more than just saying, well, I'll play this gig for less? Yeah, it's a really tricky thing because, um, you, you know, the, the challenge in the music business, you know, there are two dimensions, as you know. You know one is, are you going to have that, hit that goes viral, which is like buying a lottery ticket. I mean, everyone's striving for it, but as you said, there are far more people that yeah, uh, tried it but didn't get noticed than there are who, you know, who had uh, uh, success of the character on uh, on uh, uh, A Star is Born, where you know, it comes from nowhere, singing in a... Uh, <laughs> Bad strip, a bad strip club to going on stage in front of people and becoming a star instantly. You know that that only happens in the movies. So, so you know a piece of it is um, uh, thinking of yourself and zooming out a bit and saying, yes, what can I do in my performance to make that experience I provide wherever I'm providing it as enjoyable, engaging, different, involving. Uh, and unique as possible. Uh, and of course, every artist tries to do that. But, um, you know, the, the trick is, and this is whether you're, you mention computers or whatever category you look at, everyone thinks they're different. But if you zoom out and try to look at what's the difference in one cell phone and the other, they're all square. They all have black screens. They all are thin. You know, one computer has, you know, they all have the same screens. And, and so, you know, even though everyone in the business says, well, this is why a Dell is better than an HP, better than, you know, everyone who's in the business will give you a hundred reasons they think their brand or their song is better. But, you know, when you scan, the, it, it, if you realize you live in a world of similarity, similar songs being written by similar people, talk about similar things, performed in similar ways, uh, you realize the scope of the challenge and it forces you to say, well, you know, what, you know, if I just follow the proven formula, of how to do this, it may not break through. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I've I've had lots of conversations with people and and it seems to come back around that the value of music hasn't really ever changed. It's always been the experience. You know, the packaging has changed, but ultimately it's the experience that, um, you know, people are getting from music. Um, And so I, you know, in my mind, I think, well, you know, if we could just, shift people's perspective to to think hmm this music could change my life this music could improve my life this this music can make a positive impact on my life and it doesn't matter if i've heard on the radio or not it just matters what it can do for me as far as the experience and so when i you know when i look at something like a company like coca-cola that has sort of promised happiness you know i mean how how do you how do you approach a brand from the perspective of feelings and and you know what it will do for you um in in a way that you know i guess could be a, a method i suppose uh, 
I should maybe I can refine that question a little better. Um, I'm I'm wondering how people can address their brand in the sense of what it does for people, so that they can ask themselves the right questions and ensure that their their clients are getting that. So when you talk about the, the pizza company, I mean it it sounded like you know at the end of the day, if 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 you're just competing with what's closest, what's cheapest, then you know you're not standing out. But but how do you ask those questions? you know, that are going to help you um, move past price points, move past, you know, commodity, but rather, um, you know, have people think of you and, and have those positive experiences around you. Yeah, and I, you know, there's a lesson I think that the, the music business can take from outside because uh, as we talked, I, I spent a lot of time in many categories uh, across the marketing landscape. And, you know, the world used to be, look, we have a great – product and this has more cheese, it tastes great by it. But as the difference between one slice of pizza and the other or one computer and the other, as that has shrunk and as particularly younger consumers say, well, I can get great quality options. I can fly to New York from LA on five airlines. They all fly the same planes. You know, I, I need more than just um, you know, a plane that gets me there on time. Um, where the market has gone in many other categories is to, all right, you know, but tell me a little bit about you. What do you stand for? What do you believe in? Uh, because I not only need to enjoy your song, I want to, you know, I want to support you uh, and your views and what you're doing in the world to make my life better, to make my experience better. And so lots of brands, as, as your listeners know, have gone from just talking about what their product differences are to, what do they believe in and what they stand for? And I think certainly in the in the music business, that is, uh, uh, well, I think some artists do a pretty good job of that. Um, I think there's plenty of opportunity to to take your experience and bring it well beyond that's a great toe-tapping song <laughs> uh, uh, to, gee, I, you know, I really like you. I like everything you stand for. I like the causes you're connected with. I like... You know, you are a role model well beyond, um, you know, providing two minutes and 45 seconds of entertainment to me uh, when I'm running in the park on on my uh, on my cell phone. Do you, do you think, with that being said, that um, possibly pursuing more co-partnerships and you know, co-branding opportunities is perhaps a, a, a way to do that. I mean, I, I know. I think I think if you're careful about it, you know, the the old adage, you know, the company who you hang out with, the company you keep, um, you know, makes a big difference. Uh, you know, and Nike's been in the news a lot lately, and they just did something online I saw where they gave a um, a uh, endorsement contract to their first athlete with ALS uh, and yeah um, and all of a sudden they're connecting with an entire community of disabled consumers because they're not just you know signing up the biggest football player or baseball player or the most successful athlete but they're reaching down and saying even though this disabled individual just barely finished a you know 2k and it took three hours they're a star and they are winning for them in a space that's important so the company they're keeping 
says something about the brand, and I think the same principle applies to an artist. What are you doing? Who are you affiliating with? Who are you connecting with? Who are you who are you partnering with? Now you can't partner with everybody, and you have to be strategic about it uh, because it's not easy to do. You know, you don't want to necessarily hang out with the most popular kid in class if you're not the most popular kid because you'll be invisible. Mm-hmm. That's funny because you're saying that example of Nike. I mean, I think of their their slogan, "Just just do it." And right. Tied to their their core essence, and you know the other thing is if you know I think every artist should think about not you know themselves as a brand as to not their music is blank and blank and they sing this genre and they perform on this type of but you know who are they attitudinally you know who do they if they you know you know who do they want to what do they want to stand for. I think that's a that's a very important question. Um, you, you've recently published a book this year, uh, Shift Ahead, and uh, I thought maybe you could even just tell me about the title and uh, how that applies to branding. Uh, well, yeah, every day in the newspaper you, uh, you you can read headlines that Sears going out of business, Barnes and Noble filing for Chapter Eleven. Radio Shack closing, Toys R Us closing, and you know you realize that every day, more and more businesses have become have failed, have become irrelevant. And so, you know, part of it was, gee, is it just me, or is it really just harder to tread water than it was five years ago, ten years ago? So I hooked up with uh, a colleague at NYU, and we did a lot of research, and we found out that, gee, you know, it's happening. It's not just happening in the technology space where you're here today and gone tomorrow. But almost every category, the pace of change is going so fast that companies that were once king of the castle, king of the hill, are are gone, are going, going, gone. And keeping your business relevant, keeping your company relevant, be it a drugstore on the corner, um, uh, a rock band, or a billion-dollar company, it's getting really hard um, and so we began to research, you know, what, what mistakes, you know, do many companies make and why do some companies manage to stay relevant and shift their business ahead and others fail to shift their business and end up with a going out of business sign in their window. What, what are some of the barriers to shifting? Some of the values, you know, some but of the, the barriers, the, the barriers, the barriers. Yeah, the barriers are um, there are lots of them. Starting with human nature, you know, realizing that most of us are, are comfortable, like Marty Crane was in the old TV show Frasier, in an old chair. Mm-hmm. And from you know, just realizing that your starting point is yesterday is more comfortable than tomorrow. So you, if you work in a in a in, a, uh, in an office, you go into the office the same time. You get your coffee at the same. Delhi, you sit at the desk, you do your emails first, you, 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 know, you get into a, a routine. And um, if anything else, when, just realizing that you are starting in the end zone, if they say if you take the sports, it, just because if, you, if you're more comfortable doing what you did yesterday in a fast-changing world, you're, you're already in trouble. So one of the barriers is just human nature is uh, – is, uh, is uh, makes it hard. Another big barrier we found is that people are just looking at their direct competitors. So if you're Pepsi, you're worried about Coke. If 
you're P&G, you're worried about Colgate. If you're uh, Nike, you're worried about Adidas. And you're, you know, if you're Gillette, you're worried about Schick. And, you know, that's important. You need to watch what your key competitors are doing. You're worried about the rock band down the street. But, you know, as you and most people undoubtedly know, that sometimes you can win that, sometimes you can lose that. But often you get disrupted or blindsided by somebody coming from totally behind you or off to your side. So while you need to pay attention to people you compete with for audience or for attention, um, you know, one of the barriers is uh, if you do too much of that, you really don't see what could be happening or what could be changing because you're, you're not paying attention to what's going on. You don't have enough perceptual vision versus laser focus on what's right in front of your nose. I know, I know it's not uh, exactly the, the right uh, quote, but the quote that I certainly um, find value in is life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I think that it, it seems to apply whether it's within business context or personal context. You know, we, we do get comfortable and we, we do find it easier to stay in our comfort zone, but that ability to grow or to, um, you know, shift does, right. does, as you say, seem to happen outside of that comfort zone. So I can completely relate to the human component of, of the barrier to shifting. Yeah. Um, I know that for the book, you, you, you did at least a hundred interviews. Um, was there any key insight that came for you that you didn't expect when you went through the process of interviewing people that you might be able to share? Well, you know, I think the, 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 the ones that shifted um, the best to stayed current, the best that, were not ending up with an out-of-business sign on their door, tended to be companies that had very much a um, a bit of uh, an attitude close to uh, a quote by another famous person from the technology world, Andy Grove, who said, only the paranoid survive. They were constantly worried about how they doing, how am I doing? Uh, they were constantly in the marketplace saying, did you like the pizza? Did you like it? How? Yeah, They were always nervous that they weren't doing enough versus sitting in a back room saying, all right, that was a great year. Let's open some champagne and uh, work last year. Let's just do it again this year. So having a piece of uh, another famous quote from uh, Bill Marriott, Marriott does a pretty good job of trying to stay relevant as they try to reinvent the hospitality business in the face of Airbnb. But was the quote is success is never final. And the, one of the biggest barriers to shifting ahead is you're so successful doing what you're doing. That there's so there's gravitational pull. Let's just keep on doing it. <laughs> That's a great year last year. Let's just do the same thing and maybe add ten percent, a little more whipped cream and a cherry on top this year, and everything's going to be dandy. And you keep on doing that, and all of a sudden, one day, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually one of the things that uh, I'd seen. That you know, in what what can what can Airbnb learn from Marriott? And that did certainly catch my attention because of course you know airbnb uber there's all these companies that are popping up and you know giving a scare of course to a lot of a lot of companies i mean you know this part of the world where i live um you know, vancouver hasn't yet brought uber into the city and uh so is, is there any companies that that are you know making headlines that you see maybe need to pay a little more attention to what's outside of their comfort zone and where things are headed? Or is there any sort of example you might be able to give? Well, you know, I think um, the, uh, the uh, you know, you don't have to be a, uh, a 
futurists know that a lot of industries are going to – well, it's pretty clear what Uber is going to do to a local taxi business. You don't have to be surprised. But what Uber is going to do to the local car dealership when people realize, why should I buy a car when I can just double-click and get there faster, cheaper, easier? What it's going to do to um, – you know, what's going to happen to the car business when – that car doesn't even need a driver, and you can share a car, and five of you could own one car together, and it could take you all to work separately and get your groceries. And you know, so, so I just think you know people see these changes on the fringe, and have a bit of skepticism to say, "Ah, oh, never happened." I remember we had a great conversation with the folks at BlackBerry, who were at BlackBerry when it was at when it was BlackBerry, and then some who were there as it became less BlackBerry. And one of the, you know, there, again, there's usually not one reason a company fails to shift ahead. It's usually they do many things. So it's a, it's a convergence of problems. But one of the common faults, one of the common challenges that BlackBerry had that others also have was a sense of arrogance. You know, consumers are not going to give up their keyboard. No one's going to use that music player from Palo Alto or Cupertino and you know, they want a serious business. I mean, people can't type emails with their finger on a flat screen. That's a toy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're you know so there was so so much arrogance that you know, that that was a music player toy, no one would give up their keyboard. Mm-hmm. Uh and they were right, because when they did the research, I, I I was a big Blackberry user. And you asked me, Do you want to use this new screen or do you want to use your black? I said, No, I, I type super fast emails. With, I can't type on a, on a screen. So the research was telling them, don't worry about it. But of course, they didn't tell you all that you need to know in research that your entire life would be on that phone, that it would be connected to 100 apps, that you would be able to get taxis or cars, or that you could order dinner, and you know, and all of a sudden, they, uh, you can even talk to it and say, hey, Siri, send a note to, uh, to Aaron that I, you know, I'm going to be late uh, to the meeting. So, um, you know, asking consumers uh, what they want and being very arrogant that nothing will change and everything will be okay is another uh, watch out. That's funny because you're saying these things too. I, I, uh, my wife is actually an illustrator and calligrapher, and, and so I see this other side of, of, you know, what happens is you see all these things advancing and and technology taking over, and, and all of a sudden there's this resurgence and in interest of the hands written. I mean, you, you see things like Etsy and, you know, right, exactly. everything is a zigzag. And, uh, yeah. I mean, if you look at the book categories, another, we did a lot of talk, talks with the folks at Barnes and Noble and, you know, they came in and big bookstores, you know, squashed the little bookstore at the corner. And that was a famous subplot from an old, old movie called you've got mail. And, uh, and they in fact did that. And then of course a bigger animal called Amazon wiped, the big bookstores off the map. But what's come back are the local, small, boutique, curated bookstore where you can go to the proprietor and say, you know, I like this sort of book. Can we talk? What do you have? And mm-hmm. that high touch, that high creative, that personal approach, so you're either going to be very personal and very unique and very small, or you you better be fast, cheap, and uh, big. But, you know, the, the massive middle is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, and I really appreciate the, uh, the time you spent with me today. I um, I was hoping that you might be able to tell people where they can find your book, also where um, they can read more by you. You you know you write for a number of publications, um, so maybe you could just let people know where they can find out more information. Yeah, they can uh, they can find my books 
at some bookstores, unfortunately not enough bookstores because of uh, that channel, but they can certainly find it on Amazon or online. Um, they can find more about me at metaphors.co. Uh, and also occasionally follow me. I write uh, pretty readily on Forbes and other publications. So um, I've enjoyed short chatting with you, and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank, thank you. You have been listening to Aaron Bethune. Until next time, stay above the noise.